Please take your seats. Matinee Minutia is about to begin. Oh. Hey, welcome back. Hey. Oh. Say, that's a nice kimono you have on. Is that real silk? Well, I didn't get it off of Wish.com. <laughs> well, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say you're dressed as a 50s army nurse on weekend leave. Mm, you saw the DVDs in my book bag, didn't you? Hmm, maybe. <laughs> Hawkeye Pierce is a young New England doctor whose skills have found him needed in the Far East by Uncle Sam. But he's not alone. In 1950s Korea, many men and women were brought to the front lines in the name of stopping the advancement of, com of the communist agenda. For over a decade, on TV, the team at the 4077th Mobile Army Surgical Hospital furthered the conversation and so, grab yourself a mink stall, an evening dress, but make sure those bedpans are emptied before you head out to the bar. It's time for MASH, the TV series. Hit it, boys! What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. Time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Well, hello there, Mr. Smelly. It's good to see you after that little break we had there this summer. How are you? Yeah, same here. Uh, uh, I guess I guess it was a summer. We flashed through it. I don't know. Time is going crazy. And uh, yeah, there was a summer there somewhere. <laughs> and we're... Coming back just in time to talk about another season around the corner. My favorite season. And you want to know why it's my favorite season, Toppy? Why? Because the sun is no longer trying to murder me in my house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, like, just like the historical marionette theater here, there's only so much we can do to update the building. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And you know, if if you're out there on the uh, the YouTube land, there, you can see me dressed in what I like to call my Taste of Fall T-shirt. It's a, a burnt because it's orange. Yes, it's it's the color of Tuscany. So we've got uh, apple cider and donuts and bonfires and sweatpants and hoodies all waiting for us around the bend. Excellent. Excuse my squeaky chair. It's getting worse and worse. Oh, so our senior showgirl, she was all dressed up there. Did you see that outfit of hers? I couldn't help. It was very colorful. What do you think you call it? It's a, yeah, you said it was a kimono. I guess that's the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she even did her hair up, and uh, it was quite the thing. But, you know, Toppy, um, that show she had in her backpack there, uh, MASH, that was something that ran for quite a while there. It had a little over 10 seasons. 
Sure did. Uh, hard to believe. Um, I would have said it started in 71, but I guess research has shown it started in 72. I, I can't believe it was that long ago. And um, I didn't know a thing about it for 1972. 1973, I think midway through the season, I finally tuned in. It was an episode called Four O'Clock Charlie. Mm-hmm. And that's the first episode I remember. And then I remembered I tuned in every week after that for years. You know, I uh, I didn't catch it in its initial run, but it also aired on Monday nights. So, you know, if you were anybody who was still in school, you might have had to get permission to stay up. But uh, I got to see it in the reruns. And, uh, well, let's just say that uh, one of my sisters was okay with watching the scenes in the surgery room. But... Uh, when it came to watching a PBS special on the miracle of birth, she couldn't sit through it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> nice. So, so Toppy, um, just to get things in mind here, let's take a step backward. Yeah. Uh, give us a sense of what was head, uh, going on in the world back then. All those friggin' years ago, uh, 1972, what was happening? Okay, in 1972, the beginning of MASH, President Nixon ordered the development of the space shuttle. Well, he took credit for it anyways. And uh, Bob Douglas became the first African-American elected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. 92nd U.S. Congress voted to send the proposed Equal Rights Amendment to the states for ratification. I think they're still working on that. Uh, Okinawa, it returned. It was returned to Japan after 27 years of U.S. military occupation. So that was, uh, you know, um, in the heyday of this story here in the Korean War. Uh, Hurricane Agnes... Uh, speaking of some violent weather, we, we've just experienced another terrible storm that hit the uh, the East Coast. But Hurricane Agnes hit the East in 72. And uh, to this day, there are places in New York's southern tier, uh, the Haystack, out where near I grew up. And uh, I do think you said in Pickle Hollow, uh, they got quite a bit of rain in 72 there during this yeah. flood. Um, so, yeah, I'm old enough to remember it. And I remember our power went out. And I'm sure lots of people's power went out. And we were sitting around the table with a kerosene lantern. At that time, we were guesting for, I don't know, three quarters of a year or more, half a year at my grandparents' house. I can't believe we were all in that house, but we were. And I remember sitting around the table and just listening to the, the house moan, you know, because of the wind. It's kind of spooky. Hmm. I'm, I'm told that at the time my folks were building a new place and they just finished the basement. This is a split level house. They weren't, quite ready to move into the upstairs and they were scrambling to keep the furniture protected but uh, alas Hurricane Agnes was estimated to cost 3.1 billion dollars in damages in 12 states 
Wow. And uh, the in the Supreme Court, Furman versus Georgia ruled the death penalty was unconstitutional back then in 72. And lastly, but certainly not least, the first women are admitted to Dartmouth College, and women are allowed to compete in the Boston Marathon for the first time. God, can you imagine? Of course there was a time women weren't were allowed, but it, it just never occurred to me. Uh, I, it's hard to believe. Mm, so there's a few folks that entered into this world back in 72 when MASH was new. Tell us how some of those folks were that uh, were just a glimmer in folks' eyes. Uh, yeah, these people were birthed folks. Uh, Jennifer Garner, she was in Pearl Harbor. She was in Catch Me If You Can. Uh, you all know Dwayne Johnson. He's that rock guy. Yeah. Uh, Mummy Returns, Get Smart, Jumanji, The Next Level. Avian. Uh, he, he was born uh, that year. How about Octavia Spencer? No idea. Uh, but she was in the help. <laughs> Eleven hidden figures. Avian. Also, uh, John Cho. Uh, not to mention Ben Affleck. How about Cameron Diaz? How about Gwyneth Paltrow? All born in 72. Oh, and something y'all should know. Uh, yes, I did say y'all. I lived in Texas for a year, okay? Blame them. Uh, John Cho more recently was cast in the remakes of the Star Trek films as Sulu. Oh, uh, that, that show. Yes, sir. All righty. So, MASH. It was a long-running drama sitcom the the sitcom parts debatable depending on who you ask they try to provide some levity but it was a television show and so of course we'd like to tell you what was competing for your attention if you were firing up the old tube on monday nights back then now mash premiered on sundays in its first season yeah totally forgot about that yeah well i wasn't i did i didn't know about it that first season so it was because i no doubt was watching the wonderful world of disney mm, i would yeah i i would guess my household was probably too uh, but it, they started at 8 o'clock on Sunday nights in the fall of 72 on CBS, you know, the Big Brother Network. And uh, opposite of MASH on NBC, the Peacock, the wonderful world of Disney, as you were saying. And on ABC, the American Broadcast Company, the FBI. And this was a crime investigation series. And it ran for nine years. Now, it was in the last two seasons of its run when MASH premiered on television. Yeah. Now, after Wonderful World of Disney, it was too bad with us kids. So, mm. never saw FBI. Yeah, I think that uh, when I was school-aged, they still had a Sunday event for Disney. They had moved on to like a movie of the week sort of thing. But the same timing, off to bed. Season two saw MASH moved to Saturdays at 8.30. So they, they took a step back, like the time warp. And then on season three, well, season three, they moved them to Tuesdays at 8.30. Wow, it took them a while to decide where they belonged. Now, season four, they were at nine o'clock on Tuesdays. And it stayed there until season six, when it finally landed its home, nine o'clock 
for the rest of its run. And uh, I, I think that it competed with Monday Night Football at the time. Could, yeah, probably. I mean, I guess that, that was happening then. Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I always associate it with Monday Night. So I, that's, I guess that's just the way. Because that's where it was for the last part of its run. Mm-hmm. That's what I always remember. Monday nights was smash night. So there were a couple of people that brought us uh, the series of MASH. Of course, it uh, it ran for over ten seasons, so it was sort of a tag team. At one point, there was a handoff, and the next person took over. Now, uh, normally we call this person because we are a celebrated venue of many things past of of vaudeville, and we even once had a magician. So, the the main head cheese that was in charge of making this first was Mr. Larry Gelbart, and uh, did it for the first four seasons, which was an Alan Alda film, by the way. Um, and then uh, that got turned over to Mr. Burt Metcalf, and that was seasons 6 through 11. Now, uh, some of the other things that Larry Galbart did, uh, it looks like he did a TV series in the 90s called Fast Track, only lasted 22 episodes, so a little trial by fire there. Um, but it looks like we mostly wrote and directed MASH. Now, Mr. Bert Metcalf, who took over, uh, he also, let's see here, he produced, oh, it looks like some TV movies, something called Anna and the King, did some acting, but Mm. uh, I digress. We will move on to the cast. These are the big names that would be up on the marquee if this was a movie, but uh, this is the star power that brought you to the time slot that MASH aired, so I'll go... I think they would become stars, but when this show started, I I think they people would have said, oh, this is a cast of unknowns. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's interesting, because as I watch some of these uh, programs that we discuss here in Matinee Minutia, because one of my hobbies is genealogy, I like to put myself into the mindset of what this actor was going through at the time. So, Mr. Alan Alda, he is a, uh, a celebrated, distinguished gentleman who's, I believe in his 80s nowadays at least, but at the time in 1972 when MASH was airing, he was all of 36. So (laughs) being past that age now, I'm just looking at that thinking, oh my, he, you know, that, that young guy, he's, he's, you know, the star of the show, but (laughs) Mr. Mm -hmm. Alan Alda, he was New York City born and raised began acting on TV in the decade prior to MASH. Now, Alda had guest appearances on eight series prior to MASH, and his first leading role in TV in 1971, which is the year before the series premiere, he started in something called the Mephisto Waltz, and this was with Jacqueline Bissett. And it was made by the same director as the 60s Western series, Wild Wild West, Mr. Paul Wenkos. 
And Alda would continue to star in five films during the course of MASH's decade-long run. So he kept paying the bills, you know, when he was in the, the off-season during his break there. His first film after MASH was called Sweet Liberty. He had the pleasure of starring with Mr. Michael Caine and the up-and-coming Michelle Pfeiffer, who'd be Catwoman later. Alda played an author in this film who wrote a book about the American Revolution, and it began to be turned into a movie. Now, in the decade that would follow MASH, Alda would star in five more films. To date, he has 68 acting credits, and most recently, he had a series of eight guest appearances on the Showtime series Ray Donovan, and this is a show about a fixer who arranges bribes, payoffs, threats, crime scene cleanup, and other illegal activities to protect his usually celebrity clients. And this show on Showtime stars Liev Schreiber, not to be confused by Maria Schreiber, uh, former wife of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Different lady. Um, I want to welcome our, our chat room. Uh, we've got Maren Gertz, Tommy Hash Browns, and uh, Aunt Tudor. Uh, that's all I see at the moment, anyways. And they're bringing up some good information. Tommy reminds us that uh, MASH came about from a novel published in 68 by Richard Hooker. And I want to say... That they that not the novel was based in Vietnam. I, for some reason, I think I, I think I've heard that, and there's a reason why they changed it to Korea. Mm-hmm. Not sure why. And of course, um, r- director Robert Altman took that book and made it into uh, his big smash hit movie uh, of the same title. And that starred Elliot Gould and Donald Sutherland and uh, a very unknown actor named Gary Berghoff, uh, who played a character called Radar O'Reilly. And uh, lo and behold, Radar, uh, Gary Berghoff, only actor to make it onto the television series. So let's talk about Alan Alda's co-star, who originally... Alan Alda and Wayne Rogers were intended to be equal uh, co-stars, but uh, Alan Alda kind of, whether he intended to or not, uh, took over as far as his influence and uh, prominence on the TV show. But Wayne Rogers played, uh, what? what's the character? It's suddenly eluding me. He played... Uh, oh, B- 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 Trapper John. Thank you. He played Trapper John uh, and uh, they were bunk mates, mates in the in their uh, their 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 their. They had a name for that too. Oh, the t- the tent was called the swamp. Yeah, there you go. It was called the swamp. Anyways, Rain Wayne. I'm not. I'm not going to be able to say. I'm, I'm going to keep saying Rain Rogers. <laughs> Wayne Rogers, Alabama born. He went to Princeton and graduated with a history degree of all damn things. Uh, he was in the Navy, so he had some real wartime. Well, I don't know about war, but he was uh, in the Navy uh, and in the military service uh, where he did some theater um, and just by happenstance. And 
after he got discharged, he said, hey, I kind of like this theater thing. Maybe I'm going to keep doing it. And eventually, uh, he began acting on television uh, in the early 60s. He had uh, he was on uh, television series like Stagecoach, Stagecoach West, and the, uh, uh, another two dozen TV shows uh, uh, along those eras. And uh, he, his most uh, uh, pre- recent work, uh, closest to MASH, and prior to MASH, was he had a series of guest appearances on the FBI. Um, now, uh, Wayne Rogers left MASH after the third season. And I know there's a story there somewhere. He broke the contract. Mm-hmm. and And CBS fought him over it. I mean, he was supposed to stick around and he, and, and, and as far as I know, the litigation ended up kind of going nowhere. And I don't think, I don't think anything ever happened, but he basically broke his contract and and there's gotta be a reason why maybe he resented not being an equal co-star to the series. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't find any reasons oh, uh, when I was looking up. Did you? Do you know? Well, there, there's plenty of minutia behind the scenes, and we'll get to that. Of course, that's how we get our name, Matinee Minutia. So yeah, right. uh, definitely uh, some breadcrumbs to follow in a moment here. Now, uh, all right. So I'll just, I'll just finish up. Uh, he did do things after Mash. Um, uh, well, funnily enough, there was a, a, a show um, on CBS called uh, Trapper John, uh, but uh, Wayne Rogers had nothing to do that with that. It was Pernell Roberts who took over that role of a much older Wayne Rogers, and it was more of a drama, one-hour series, not a half-hour comedy sitcom. But... Uh, he was cast in 13 episodes of City of Angels, which was created by Rockford Files writer Stephen J. Cannell. Uh, that was about a 30s-era detective. I kind of remember that. Um, in 1979, Rogers was cast in the lead of House Calls. I do remember that because of Lynn Redgrave and Sharon Glass. Uh, uh, that was about the love lives of a staff of San Francisco Hospital. That ran for three seasons. Um, in the mid-90s, Rogers had a series of five guest appearances on Murder, She, Murder, she Wrote. <laughs> I wonder why he got on there five times. Anyways, uh, if he was a different character, is the same guy. I don't know. Um, but anyways, uh, later in life, uh, Wayne Rogers sort of, well, did other things. Uh, he became kind of a businessman and investor. And, and in later years, he was managing the affairs of uh, movie stars like Peter Falk and James Caan. Um, and then he died of pneumonia in 2015 at the age of 82. That's how friggin' long ago this TV series was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. That was Wayne Rogers, uh, who played Trevor John. Now, I want to say that I remember in the 80s hearing about the Wayne Rogers Institute. And I think it was a business school that he might have uh, 
spearheaded at the time there. But, uh, you know, if he Mm -hmm. had five appearances on Murder, She Wrote, I wonder if he was one of uh, Angela Lansbury's many nephews on that show. (laughs) Probably. I bet he played five different nephews. (laughs) Each parted their hair just slightly different. (laughs) Right. Oh, by the way, in the chat room, Maren Gertz uh, points out Aldo, Robert Aldo was the, uh, not Robert, Alan Aldo was the son of show folks, and I do know his father was Robert Aldo, another actor who did television work um, as well as movies. Um, Also, uh, Alan's dad, Robert, appeared in at least one episode of MASH, if not more than that. So there you go. Okay. So we are at about the halfway mark in our show. We're going to step on over here to the concession stand where Curtis made the place look like the officer's mess. Woo! So we're going to uh, enjoy some boilermakers and try on some camouflage while we listen to... This interview with Jamie Farr and Loretta Swit at the 2018 Academy Awards Red Carpet. This is amazing. I'm with Jamie Farr and Loretta Swit from MASH. And there's a special thing going on tonight on the show with you. Yes, it's an anniversary of, well, 45 years with us, but also the anniversary of 50 years of Mr. Rogers and his neighborhood. I don't know if you remember watching his show. I remember watching MASH and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yes. Wasn't his show very calming? Very, very calming. Sometimes I would... He was fall asleep, too, too but I, yes, I know. <laughs> the audience didn't. But so when you got the role of Hot Lips Houlihan, uh-huh. did you do you have any idea when you I guess when you started this how the character would evolve? It just evolved and evolved. Both your characters. Uh, yes, uh, no one could have imagined it was going to run for eleven years. I mean, it would still be running if we all didn't say this is it. We have to do other things. Um, nobody could have imagined what would happen that it would turn into the phenomenon that it did. Which we're very and also Loretta about. had a lot of input into what happened to her character. This is true. She made sure that uh, it was nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, she was uh, my my goal was to make her the best damn nurse in Korea. <laughs> so, best damn head nurse in Korea, and I think uh, that um, that overshadowed anything that I was uh, getting in script wise. So I I would go and say, could we do this or whatever? But the writers were great. The producers were great. Uh, Gelbart, in fact, came to me long before, well, it was maybe season two. So we don't know where we're going with her. We're going with you, you know, just hang in with us and we're going to, you know. So we worked together. And they did that with all the characters. It wasn't just Margaret, but, um, I mean, Jamie's character evolved. Radar became... Very evolved, yeah. He, yeah, from, from a, um, a little boy who was sleeping with his teddy bear, went home to take care of the farm. Oh, so can I say something that's always meant a lot to me is that all the actors on this show didn't have egos you know they weren't on the telephone talking to press agents they cared about the show that they were doing and they put the input into that the audience went on a journey with all the characters they loved all the characters like you felt for all you cared about all of them it's an incredible testament to that show I think that we were their family I know I've gotten mail to that effect where women grown up now saying I was alone my mom was working two jobs dad was working and you were like my big sister 
And I, I, I appreciate that. I think that's, that's what happened. We became everybody's family. I'd like to add to that that I get a lot of mail also that people said this show affected them, that they got into medicine. They became doctors and nurses. The one thing I'm disappointed about, nobody ever said they wanted to be an actor. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is amazing. And we are back. So continuing the discussion on the cast here, uh, once Wayne Rogers decided it was his time to walk off into the sunset because there was a, well, there was a little a bit of a contract dispute there, as we'll get into. Uh, we, we needed a new roommate in the tent, the swamp. That's where they, they had their still there because, uh, you know, you had to have a little libation after all those long hours of surgery. Uh, and A little libation. <laughs> but a lot of life. They were heavily lubed. Yes. So we have Mr. Mike Farrell, and uh, he came in and he uh, played the character of B.J. Honeycutt, the new roommate in town now mr farrell was born in minnesota so he was a midwesterner for a time but he was california raised so he moved to the coast his father was a carpenter who worked for hollywood studios so he he saw his way around and saw things that he probably didn't uh need to see <laughs> farrell, <laughs> began, farrell began acting in television in the mid to late 60s so he was already on his way when he got cast in MASH. Prior to joining the cast of MASH, little did you know, he had over 30 acting credits on television. This included two appearances on the Raymond Burr series Ironside on NBC. And, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm inside. <laughs> and the uh, well-loved Doctor series Marcus Welby, MD, on ABC. Both of these were in 74. Now, during Farrell's seven years on MASH, he would appear in nine TV movies. In Holy cow. Yes. In I don't remember any of those. Oh, my goodness. He was even a stand-in for um, oh, um, Larry Hagman in the I Dream a Genie TV movie. Oh. God, yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> that was unfortunate. <sighs> well, I mean, he got to kiss uh, Barbara Eden. Following MASH, he would star in five TV movies over the next five years. And in 99, Mike Farrell was finally cast in another TV series on NBC, The Peacock, in a show called Providence. And this was a series about a successful Hollywood plastic surgeon who returns to her hometown in Rhode Island. He appeared in four of that show's five seasons. And most recently in 2014, Mike Farrell starred in five episodes of the Sundance Channel series with hunk uh, future Aquaman Jason Momoa and uh, hubby of Lisa Bonet in a show called The Red Road. And this was about a small-town police uh, crew. Now, in 2019, he had two appearances as a judge on CBS's well-loved and long-running NCIS. And he has been elected first vice president of the Screen Actors Guild back in 20, uh, 2002 and served for three years. And he passed away. I mean, not all that long, but like five years ago or something like that. Hmm. 
Or am I crazy? Um, uh, chat room, he's he's gone, right? Yeah. I will take a look on that, because I know that uh, there are only a couple of, of the main cast members that are still surviving. No, Mr. Mike Farrell is still with us. He's 82. What the hell? Okay, maybe, I don't know. Never mind, scratch that. Let's get into McLean Stevenson's, the first colonel uh, that we saw running that mass unit. He was born in Illinois. He did nightclubs, summer theater before Hollywood. Uh, he also did some writing for some shows like The Smothers Brothers. How about that? Uh, before he was in MASH, he had a reoccurring roles on the Tim Conway show in 1970 and the Doris Day show, 71, both on CBS. MASH was Stevenson's seventh TV series. Uh, following his departure, he was cast in about 5 million other TV series that the network thought McLean Stevenson would carry because of his popularity on MASH. They tried him in one after another. It was kind of weird. And none of them, I like six episodes, they were gone. But I swear to God, uh, at least four, they tried him out in four different sitcoms. Uh, anyways, uh, he did, uh, he did, this guy did pass away. We can say that at the age of 68, uh, of a heart attack, uh, uh, 32 acting credits to his roster. Last one being in 93 in the 20th anniversary of tales of the city. Hmm. Wow. Yep. I, I don't, I, I swear I see that, but. It was I don't a, remember him in it. Oh, well, yeah, it was an anniversary special, so it wasn't the actual installments of uh, the show based on the book. It was a, a look back at the original program. So, Oh, all right. So uh, quickly, uh, t- tell about uh, Harry Morgan. He was the second colonel to come along and run the mission. All righty. And, uh, and McLean Stevenson's in one of my favorite movies, The Cat from Outer Space. With, no. Yes, with no. Sandy no. Duncan. <laughs> Do, do not tell me that's your favorite, one of your favorite movies. No. Oh, I, I like me some trash. <laughs> I, 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 look, I, I was in Alaska for one summer uh, a million years ago, but it happened to be the year that goddamn movie came out. <laughs> and movies didn't get around in Alaska very well back then. Okay, so this theater close to where I was living was playing the cat from outer space all freaking summer long. And I had things to do, but there was some off time. And because there was no TV where I was, I just needed something. And I went to see that goddamn movie at least five times. Well, you know, the um, I, I think one of the cast members in that movie, I'm forgetting the lead's name, has done work with Carol Burnett. And Sandy Duncan. Sandy Duncan. Uh, and um, now much to people's um, chagrin. Uh, she Ken did, Berry. Tommy uh, got it there. Uh, Sandy Ken Gun- Berry was in it. Sandy Duncan did not have a glass eye. She had a serious illness that she almost lost her sight. And the cat from outer space. No. is uh, the last film she did before she had her, her little eye injury. She inherited Sammy Davis Jr.'s eye. <laughs> or maybe it was Peter Falk's eye. They just anyway. passed it around. Yeah. At cocktail right. parties. Tell us about uh, Harry Morgan. <laughs> Harry Morgan. All right. Colonel Potter. He was Michigan-born. 
to Norwegian and Swede immigrant parents. Oh, I oh got a great grandmother who was Swedish. And you know what? He does look a lot like a Max von Sydow. No, never mind. <laughs> he had a brief career in sales before his first film, which was uh, with Maureen O'Hara called To the Shores of Tripoli. This was back in 42. He was all of 27 when he started his career. Just prior to being cast as McLean Stevenson's replacement, uh, Harry Morgan had a recurring role on the short-lived series The DA in 71. He was also in a film uh, show called Heck Ramsey, which was a Western detective series on NBC in 72. 72? Wait, what? But that's... Well, that must have been really short-lived. Mm-hmm. And in the five years following the end of MASH, Morgan would star in three different TV series. His last recurring guest role was in Third Rock from the Sun, don't you know, with John Lithgow and Jane Curtin. And uh, in 96, that was. Now, by the time of his passing in 2011, Mr. Morgan lived to the ripe age of 96. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things uh, mysteriously left off that bio, he uh, was famously in uh, the last several seasons of uh, that goddamn show about, damn, all of a sudden the name left me. It was a straight up half hour police thing. Dum, oh, dum. Dragnet. Thank you, Dragon. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the most wooden acting uh, to ever appear uh, by two people, uh, those two guys, uh, 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 Harry Morgan played his partner Friday. And the, the, the most wooden acting, it was horrible. Uh, but it, somehow it's just the way they did that show. It was a half hour of, uh, I mean, oh, good God. Anyways, it's a sight to behold. Uh, you got to see it, folks, at least one show. Uh, but uh, make sure you see the uh, the Harry Morgan episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, uh, I, I would uh, hazard a guess that uh, the change in writers and directors, Larry Gilbert to Burt Metcalf, uh, perhaps is is one of the reasons that the show changed so much. Now, I started watching the first season just to remind myself, because it had been years, years. Oh, by the way, this was in heavy syndication. Mm. And when I was in college, I mean, we'd sit around that stupid TV in the lounge and we'd every damn day at five or whatever time it came on, we'd watch Smash. Anyways, the show changed drastically over the years. Uh, and I watched that first season and was sh- shocked at how misogynist it was. Mm-hmm. How off. I mean, it was terribly offensive in a lot of ways. One of the main things that I thought just, I mean, I guess I'd forgotten, but characters like Trapper John and uh, McLean Stevenson's character, uh, the Colonel, uh, Blake, Blake, they out in the open with hilarity and casual. They they were both married and they freaking had no problem uh, being with girls and cheating 
on their wives who were back home. And there was no shame in it. There was no, who oh, I'm doing. No, everybody knew it. It was like, it was like, it was kind of unbelievable to me. I think it is worth noting that they probably received some criticism uh, or they realized it themselves, uh, the shallowness of just that it, 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 it doesn't make them likable at all. It, mm-hmm. it, uh, but both of those characters were replaced by characters who were devoted to their wives. Uh, when Hanukkah came in, uh, he was devoted to his wife. When Colonel Potter came in, devoted to his wife. And there's, I, 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 that has to be a response to those first seasons where they were like, la, 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 let's have sex. I'm married, but who cares? I'm overseas, so oh, there's no rules anymore. My wife doesn't have to know. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so I think that's really notable that those characters were replaced by characters who were devoted, absolutely devoted to their wives. Oh, certainly. And, um, you know, to that point in the interview that we heard at intermission there, uh, Loretta Swit, who played Hot Lips Houlihan Margaret, she had an active role in her in steering her character's direction before the show was out. She went, or you know, was uh, off of its its ten year run. There, uh, she went from just being the the girl that got catcalled at to you know to being a respected woman uh, of authority. She was you know an officer. She might have been a nurse, but she called the shots and. Uh, you know, after a while, it wasn't about a woman who was waiting to go home to her fiancé. It was about a woman who was in charge of her own destiny. Um, absolutely true. Another perfect example of, of this change, the way the cast grew, the way the characters became more complex and more interesting and more less less uh, one-dimensional. Uh, because Hotlet's Houlihan... I mean, for the first season or two, that that was their role was it was to be made fun of uh, because she was, you know, she and Frank, <laughs> Frank Burns, uh, Larry Linville, uh, wonderfully portray- portrayed by Larry Linville. I'll I I'll always love Larry Linville as a Frank Burns. Uh, but again, Frank Burns, kind of one dimensional. He left the show. Uh, uh, several seasons after Colonel Potter came in and replaced by a much more complex, interesting, nuanced character. Um, and that was Charles. Uh, what was his last oh, name? Oh, Charles Winchester. Charles no. Winchester, a much more complex, nuanced character. Uh, and that's just the way this show developed. It became more nuanced. It became, some people say, too preachy. You know, it became mm-hmm. too serious. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, I don't think it could have stayed on that long if it had kept up the timber of the first two or three seasons. It needed to change, and it did change. Mm-hmm. And people stuck with it. And there were so, 
oh, the writing. So many good stories over the years. Oh, yeah. I, it was amazing. Now, um, Tommy uh, writes about, uh, puts in the, the chat room uh, an episode about a gay, a gay character, which was quite brown, groundbreaking. I'd forgotten about that. Um, yeah, uh, Frank Burns is outraged when he finds a, a soldier uh, and wants to have him dishonorably discharged because he's gay. Uh, yeah, they did the writing on the show. Even in the early days, even the first season, it was always about the comedy juxtaposed to the horror of meatball surgery in a mobile unit and the horror of war. And it was always that. Uh, and, and it just, I think, got better uh, fleshing that out. Mm -hmm. um, and... Oh, I, I, so uh, I can't even count the number of episodes I, I remember fondly. Um, so just a lot, a lot of milestones in it too, because some people got their their careers started on here. I mean, I was just watching some episodes last night to refresh my memory, and there was an episode where Ron Howard got starred in it two years before he would appear in Happy Days. Wow. And he was a young man who took his brother's birth certificate to fake his age, and he was only 15, and he was in the front lines. Now, uh, Alan Alda's character, Hawkeye, decided to make good. Um, this is an episode called Sometimes You Hear the Bullet, and Hawkeye is uh, reunited with an old hometown friend. And through the course of the story, he decides to do the right thing, and that's to, to turn in the young man who has falsified his age just so he could be in the front lines because, you know, there was probably a family that was missing him back home. Yeah. And he forces him to go back home. Mm-hmm. Um... I don't know how much you saw this, DJ. I saw episodes over and over again on on uh, syndication, the same way that I saw you know episodes of Gilligan's Island over and over. That's mm -hmm. how heavily syndicated it was. So I have a lot of favorite episodes, but most of them, most of the episodes that are my favorite, um, uh, were mid midway through mm -hmm. where I think they had like the perfect mix, not to say that the later episodes were bad or the earlier episodes were bad, but I think they, somehow midway through, they had like the perfect mesh. Uh, and one of them was the episode uh, radar uh, gifts, Colonel Potter, that horse. Mm -hmm. Uh Colonel Potter's reaction of getting the horse and that in that last scene, it, I mean, you, you just, you don't find that in too many TV shows. You know, I, I had a fair amount of uh, show, you know, time with my dad watching uh, when it was in syndication. And I, I think that for my father, the, um, you know, the, the relation with MASH was that, all of his siblings 
had served in the military. He was the only one who hadn't. And, you know, it, it's uh, up for debate on, on what uh, kept him from serving. We think that it's possibly because he already had a family by the time that Vietnam came around. But he also had a learning disability. My, my father survived rheumatoid, or sorry, rheumatic and scarlet fevers when he was quite young. So, but, um, you know, some of the episodes that make the biggest impression on me is when they uh, introduced you know, the psychological elements like, uh, you know, when, when you realize that Klinger was just trying to get out of being in the war, and of course, originally they wanted that to be the gay character, but uh, the actor who plays him, Jamie Farr, didn't want his kids to get picked on in school, so they eventually turned that. But also towards the end... The, you know, the hero, the, the lead. Well, I, I just want to correct that a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh-huh. Uh, it originally was intended to be a gay character, but long before the show got on and they had the first episode with the Klinger character, he wasn't credited at the beginning at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a decision was made. Uh, I, I think it might have been... Uh, after Klinger had been on for a while, where, where, where uh, uh, what's the, what's the actor's oh, name? Oh, Jamie like, Farr. Where Jamie Farr said, "No, this is going to be better if I play it straight." Mm-hmm. And I think they went with that. Mm-hmm. And and when Jamie Farr apparently, anyways, they say that he kind of wanted to beg off Klinger dressing in women's clothes because he didn't want his children to be embarrassed. So that's where that came in. But he, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't stop doing that because he didn't want to be a gay character. It, that was because that was out of it mm-hmm. from the beginning. Anyways, just a small correction. Okay. So um, to that point though, uh, a lot, uh, some of the trivia, uh, cl- many of Klinger's early dresses were based on Hollywood movie stars like Vivian Lee. Betty Grable. Now, I don't know this one. May Witty. And, of course, Judy Garland. Now, uh, back to my point about the, the psychology element there. Before the series was over, uh, they introduced some elements that were very much part of the reality of, of being in the front lines and in the service. Hawkeye Pierce, the lead, he began to question his his faculties on whether or not he was fit to be in the service anymore. So there were, you know, a, a series of episodes where he had these traumas that caused him to question, um, you know, the, the, uh, ex- his existence there. I mean, he, at one point, a woman who was hiding on a bus ended up smothering her baby because they were behind enemy lines. And, you know, for good part of the episode, he had substituted that in his memory that it was a pet chicken that she was smothering and not a human baby. Yeah, you're describing a scene in the very last episode, which I swear to God was three hours. Mm. I could be mistaken. Maybe it was two hours. But the finale episode of MASH, the very last episode, was at least two, I think, it was three hours. Mm-hmm. And 
on some statistics, it remains the highest, the most watched show ever, 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 ever. Um, and if it's lost that title, probably only just barely. But mm-hmm. the psychological aspects you're speaking of were began uh, emerging throughout the run. Uh, and they had a character, uh, a shrink, a uh, psychologist who would come on the show every once in a while. I swear to God, his name was Sigmund, wasn't it? I believe so. Yeah, there was an episode called that. Okay, so there were a number of episodes that dealt with this. Now, a lot of them dealt with it uh, in the background with, with a soldier who would come in and he'd have a problem. You know, I remember one guy... Uh, decided to somehow, because of the trauma of the war, he decided he was Jesus. Okay, so they had to, you know, they had to figure out what to do about that. And sometimes the person that had the major problem up there in in the the head was was Hawkeye's character. Uh, sometimes it showed up a lot. It would reoccur, and I think. Maybe the the most I don't know what you want to call it, tragic most powerful scene is the scene you describe in the final episode where he uh, has a complete breakdown uh, because they were in danger of being caught and a baby was crying and he said stop that stop that crying and the mother strangled her baby to keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, he decided that wasn't a baby. That was a chicken. Right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that was, uh, yeah, that was a big deal. So uh, we are almost at the end of the show, but I wanted to go ahead and mention real briefly here, um, just a little bit of a trivia here, since, uh, you know, we, we uh, both come from a, a certain background in the cast of MASH, David Ogden Steers, who played um, uh, Winchester, he was the only publicly and out-of-the-closet gay member of the cast. He came out in 2009, 26 years after the show wrapped. Hmm. I never knew that. I, I didn't know he had done that. Um, so interesting. Yeah, the, the poor man, I think, only lived to be 75, and he sadly died of bladder cancer. But uh, anyways, we are at the end of our program, so we're going to make our way out to the lobby. Oh, I just said uh, the one short, short thing mm-hmm. that I just think. They replaced a lot of characters, but when Radar left, it was agreed. There's they, We can't. There's no... We're not replacing him. There's no replacement for Raider. He he was so singularly uh, connected with every character in the show uh, and beloved, beloved character. Uh, and they said, we're, we're not replacing him. Now, that isn't to say that Klinger who would on the show be um, put in Radar's place. He was uh, upgraded or what do you want to call it when they're given up? Oh, promoted? A a promoted, yeah. 
Um, and uh, of course, Klinger had a really hard time filling Radar's shoes. But but as far as like finding a replacement character, nope, not for Radar. I was once traveling across country, and as they do nowadays, your your um, headrest on the seat in front of you's got a TV screen in it. And uh, if you're not paying to watch the movie, you get to see where you are in your flight path. Well, there was a little blip when we passed over Ottumwa, Iowa, <laughs> the hometown of Radar O'Reilly. And if it hadn't been for MASH, my flight have been, uh, might have been a little <laughs> bit more boring. <laughs> yeah, all the characters, uh, were, like a Klinger, it was Toledo. Mm-hmm. All about Toledo. Uh Jeepers, Hawkeye was like Maine or something. Yeah, it was like uh, Crabapple Cove. (laughs) (laughs) So, Toppy, we are at the point where we're going to tell folks things they might enjoy if they liked mesh. This is what we call our snack tray. We'll go first. Um, I'm going to mention a program that uh, aired in the late 80s. Now, my sister got married at 17, and her high school sweetheart went to the Marines. He served just before the Gulf War began, so he got out just in time before things got hot there. But uh, my sister really enjoyed, as a military wife, this show called China Beach. Now, this ran for about three, four seasons on ABC. It was the trials of a weary nurse, her friends, and colleagues in a Vietnam Warfield hospital. This show had recurring guest appearances from future Star Trek Voyager actor Robert Picardo and, of course, John Waters' favorite actress and uh, talk show hostess Ricky Lake in China Beach. I think a a highly regarded series. I I think it was met with uh, a lot of critical praise. I I never watched it, but uh, and and by the way, this was an hour-long drama as opposed to anything like mash but mm-hmm. it, it dealt with a lot of as you can imagine a, a lot of very similar situations themes etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. so my recommendation is uh, for heaven's sake uh, watch the damn movie uh robert altman's mash uh if you've never seen it uh all the elements are there different but same very Robin, uh, very Rob, Robert Altmanish, very Altmanish, um, and uh, an inspired uh, movie, uh, and in that wave of movies that they called New Hollywood. I mean, this ain't your old uh, Hollywood anymore. So Robert Altman, uh, definitely making a movie. Uh, in the new Hollywood era. So catch MASH the movie. Totally worth it. If, if no other reason than to see Donald Sutherland originate the role that Alan Alda continued, and uh, for Sally Kellerman as the originator of the Hot Lips character, and for goodness sake, Rene Aubergenois, Odo Good Lord, Deep Space Nine, and Benson played the original father Mulcahy <laughs> who, we, who we didn't even mention but became a, a central part uh, of, of the MASH cast uh, as the years went on uh, uh, another character that, that grew and, and uh, 
evolved and uh, was beloved. I think Father Mulcahy was a beloved character mm-hmm. along the lines of Raider. Anyways, so if I haven't gushed enough about MASH, uh, I really loved it. And uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm not the only one. If you're looking for a place to catch it and you haven't seen it in a while, it is currently available on Hulu. So track it down before they take it off because, you know, those services, they, they, they change things like the, uh, the tabloids at the checkout counter. It's new every month. All right. Well, DJ, get out that damn magic gumball machine. Because, uh, oh, there we go. Oh, wait. Hey, I got to get oh. the coins first. Oh, coins Silly first. me. DJ. There we go. Now. Oh. All right, what does that little nugget say? That little open that capsule. Okay. <laughs> now this one, huh? Okay, we're uh, moving forward a bit here. This is a mid to late 80s adventure. Well, it's also a fantasy. While home sick in bed, a young boy's grandfather reads him the story of a farm boy turned pirate who encounters numerous obstacles enemies and allies in his quest to be reunited with his true love. Starring the future lead of Robin Hood Men in Tights and future love interest of Tom Hanks. Next time on Matinee Minutia, The Princess Bride. Okay, so if you will tell us, uh, who did we have in our chat room, sir? Oh, we were happy to have Myron Gertz, Tommy Hush Browns, and Aunt Tudor with us. At least uh, there may have been other people listening, but that's who we saw in the chat room. Oh. Thank you for joining us. Okay, and in the uh, the words of the old time radio show, say good night, Gracie. Ah, good night, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matinemanusha at gmail.com. This has been an Alibug production. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.